Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible study here from the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. So thankful that you have taken time to be with us. And, uh, and I will tell you this, um, uh, we're, we're getting excited about some things that, that are coming up, and, um, and, and I want to make you aware of those right out of the gate. Uh, first of all, if you're watching this, uh, and, uh, and this is you know the week of uh, the 26th, like today is August 26th for you, uh, then coming up on this Sunday night, uh, at 6 p.m. Central Time, and that's 7 o'clock Eastern, of course, uh, we actually will show you a, a men's service uh, that, it, that is part of themanchurch.com. And, you know, we talked about themanchurch.com. We're, we're a hub where we can help you implement, implement a men's discipleship strategy. And part of that is, uh, is quarterly, these gatherings of men, services done by men for men, and then they go out of those services and they go into the small group discipleship you know, the, the services are high equipping. Then we go into the small group. I mean, the services are high challenge. Then we go into the small group of, of high equipping. And, you know, our discipleship strategy gives you high equipping uh, along with high challenge in a never-ending discipleship strategy in a circle. And the men never leave um, discipleship. So if you'd like to see what one of the gatherings looks like, you know, the high challenge, and watch how then we put you into the high equipping There'll actually be one that you can watch online this Sunday night uh, on the uh, on August the 30th. Uh, you just simply go to shades, S-H-A-D-E-S, shades.org slash live, and you can watch it. And I also want to remind you something else is important. At the end of, uh, of the actual message, it'll be our very own Andy Blanks from themanchurch.com. He'll be talking about what is the application of this call for men to be spiritual leaders. What does that look like in our everyday life and what it is and what it isn't? And he'll talk about that. But then there's an opportunity. I'll come back on to the screen and I'll give you a chance to plug into to some small groups for, for the high equipping for your discipleship. And these small groups, many of them, I think all but maybe two, offer a Zoom option, meaning no matter where you're watching this, no matter where you are, you could plug into those classes. One of them is Helmsy from the Rick and Bubba Show. He's teaching the manchurch.com curriculum called The Pursuit. Now, he's uh, uh, not quite halfway, but almost halfway through it. Uh, so you can join that in progress. And you can because each five-week group uh, has its own topic. Or there'll be two other men uh, that will give you an opportunity to do The Pursuit curriculum via Zoom starting at the very beginning. Uh, also, uh, we'll have uh, uh, some other classes that you might be interested in that offers Zoom options as well. So if you'd like to be part of that, no matter where you are, just from your easy chair, you can enjoy it. Coming up Sunday night, August 30th, just go to shades.org uh, slash live. Uh, also, you can check uh, on upcoming events uh, there at burgessministries.com about other places and things that are going on where I'll have the opportunity to speak and, and kick off some of the men's discipleship strategy in churches all over this country. You can always find those opportunities there, including Saturday night. I'll be at a sportsman's banquet uh, there in West Columbia, South Carolina. And if you would like to be part of that, uh, you can go to BurgessMinistries.com or RickandBubba.com. Check all the details for that to see if there's still an opportunity for you to join us for that if you are watching this or listening to this in that region coming up this Saturday night. Okay, so we, this is a standalone Bible study today. We're going we're gonna to go to the Lord right now and, and ask that, Please let your Holy Spirit intervene that we walk through this, uh, and you know, with, with the correct guidance of the Holy Spirit, 
Uh, let's prepare, prepare to, to receive what we're going to hear. I've been preparing to teach this. This is a standalone Bible study today. We'll start our new series next Wednesday, and that'll be a walk through First and Second Peter. Today, the title of our uh, standalone Bible study, The Days Are Evil. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we now um, submit to your authority completely. Uh, Lord, we repent of all sin in our life. Help us, Lord, to hear from you today through your perfect word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so the days are evil. It, it, this, is, this starts from um, uh, Ephesians chapter 5. If you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, and, and I want to jump down uh, to verse 15 through 17. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, I had a lot of people that were sending me, hey, man, if you're going to do another standalone, if you missed last week's standalone, the question was, why do we suffer? And we walked through the scriptures and, and we looked at those multiple answers of why do we suffer and what scripture actually has to say about it. We're going to do the same thing of walking through scriptures, talking about being aware of the times that you're living in. And, and our feature uh, part of the Bible verses is going to come from Ephesians uh, chapter 5, looking at, uh, at verse 15 through 17. And listen to what uh, Paul's saying as he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus. He says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Listen to this. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what is the will of the Lord. To understand what is the will of the Lord. So first of all, let's, let's listen to the very straightforward, honest part. This is Paul reminding those of us that have been redeemed by Jesus, and we claim we're followers of Jesus. He's telling us, you need to be real careful about how you walk. And, and he says, so that when you're thinking about how you're going to walk, you want to walk as the wise, not as the unwise. So what makes us wise? Well, Scripture tells us what's, what makes anyone wise is, first of all, fear of God. He said, you don't walk around like these people that you're seeing in the society that you're living in that appear to be unwise, meaning they have no fear of God. And we see this everywhere right now. We see this everywhere. There is a lack of fear of God. Now, there's fear of everything other than what we should fear. Uh, there's fear of the pandemic. There's fear of law enforcement. There's fear of the resistance to law enforcement. Uh, we, we're, we're, we're promoting lawlessness. Uh, we, we, we do not have a fear of God. And, and so we fear the things we shouldn't fear, but we don't fear the very thing that we do. Now, that would be the unwise. The wise, we fear God. We're much more concerned about being on the wrong side of God than of on the wrong side of the world. And, uh, and so he says, look carefully. Think about that. Look carefully how you walk. And, and I want to ask you the question, as I was studying this and preparing, I asked myself, am I watching carefully how I walk? Am I paying attention to every move I make and every action that I take could possibly you know, be misconstrued or maybe it, it, it could be sending the wrong message? Now more than ever, in this country, for those of you that are watching this in the United States of America, in this country right now, this world, our society is in chaos. And I'm telling you, they're, they're focusing their eyes and they're looking to those of us that claim that we have the hope and the peace that, that defies all understanding 
uh, by the faith that we've been claiming. And right now they're looking to us to see if it's real. So don't walk as the unwise. Walk as the wise, making the best use of your time. Making the best use of your time. So I started thinking about that line, the best use of my use of my time. And you know, last week, uh, and look, I'm just going to say this like it is. This is not me promoting reckless behavior. This is not me saying that you shouldn't be, uh, you know, concerned about other people. You certainly don't want to put other people in unnecessary danger. But you know, this thing we had the Gridiron Men's Conference, and <clears throat> this Saturday night I'll have an opportunity to go speak to another group of men, and this is starting to to happen again. And there there certainly were a lot of people. Uh, that were saying, you know, where really should you be doing this? And Rick, you're 55 years old. Or are you concerned about, you know, going to a place where there'll be men gathering? Now, normally it would have been 6,000 men and it was only 1,500. They did the spacing and, and certainly everybody tried to wear the mask and we didn't interact with each other like we normally would have. But there was a thought that, that hit my mind. So making the best use of my time when, when I was standing there and I saw these men that had been listening to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and at the end of, of listening to all these messages and all the praise and worship that was going on, I got to see men, and, and do I know how many of them are truly sincere in their heart? I don't know, but I know that, that some, if not all, were. I watched at the end of this men standing up publicly in front of other men saying, I want to repent of my sin. I want to follow Jesus I submit to his authority, and I'm doing that publicly in front of all these other men. Today's my day. Well, so should I have cowered at home and not gone there? Should I not have delivered the message that, that God said to deliver? Was that not a wise use of time? Well, Rick, what if you'd have caught COVID? So what? What if it had killed you? So the last one of the last things I would have said is, you know, I went and preached the gospel, and doggone it, God allowed me to catch COVID, and and it looks like that's how God had designed me to die when he wove me together in my wife's womb. I mean, sorry, in my mother's womb. Uh, and he'll know the day of all the children that he wove together in my wife's womb. Same thing for Psalms 139, 13 through 16. Why shouldn't I be going? Now, see, to me, it was the perfect balance. Were we reckless about it? No. Uh, were, did we do the best we could? Yes. Is it guaranteed that that wouldn't put us at risk? No. Was, was, were people's eternity at stake? Yes. So was that the best use of my time? Yes, it was. Uh, I don't regret it. I don't regret it even if I get sick. Now, I hope I don't infect anybody else if that was to happen. But my, my, my deciding point wasn't I'll only go preach the gospel if I can get in a situation where I'm guaranteed that nothing bad ever happened to me. Uh, you know, that, that kind of thinking, just like these people that, 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 that may never go back to church again. That you'll look and see they're heading off to all these places, but they're choosing going back to church as being too dangerous. But they didn't see it too dangerous to go to the lake. They didn't see it too dangerous to do this, or they certainly aren't going to find it too dangerous to go to a ball game. But they don't go to church because, you know, people are kind of getting together there. Uh, no, no, he says, be sure that you walk as the wise, not as the unwise, making the best use of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. I don't know when all this is going to end. I don't know when Jesus is going to return. I, I really don't. But I know that I'm closer to my earthly death and Jesus' return today. I'm closer today than I was yesterday. But Jesus said we may not know the, the exact time that he's coming back, but we will begin to look around and notice 
when we are in the end days. And we'll talk about that <clears throat> a little bit too. But let's focus now on, on the, the last part of this when it says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay. Well, that really waves a flag for me because I also know that we studied it during the last series, The Unsaved Christian, and we've talked about it numerous times in Wednesday Bible studies, is that Matthew 7 statement, you know, where Jesus talks about the narrow gate, and he talks about the wide road to destruction, he talks about a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, we talked about that uh, uh, as well, and then, he talked, then he's talking about that many people will say my name, and, and then you get to the bottom, and to, to, to many of them I say, uh, you're, you're workers of lawlessness, uh, uh, I, I never knew you, but right in the middle, he says, the people that he knows are who? Who are these people? The ones that do the will of my Father. Only those that do the will of my Father will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And now I see Paul writing to Ephesus, and he says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Look carefully how you walk, not as the unwise, but as the wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, how many of you think, based on just those two scriptures, Paul says, the days are evil, understand what the will of the Lord is. Jesus says, only those that do the will of my Father will inherit the kingdom of heaven. How many of you think it's a big deal to go through Scripture and find places where it talks about God's will? My hand's up. Seems like it's big. So that's what we did. And, and, and there's, there's other places for time. I'm only hitting a few highlights. One of them, which is not going to be very popular, one of them is the very next verse in, in Ephesians. He just said, don't be foolish. Days are evil. Walk as the, the wise, not as the unwise. And in verse 18, Paul says to Ephesus, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with or by the Spirit. You know, you know what Paul is saying here when you look around and you see that the days are evil? He says, probably not the time for you to be you know, uh, saying, hey, why, I'm going to sit here and I think I'm going to get drunk today. He also says don't get drunk on wine because that's debauchery, meaning it's, it, this would not be an example of doing God's will, and that is to get drunk. We find out throughout Scripture, we have, we're not going to have any debate today about the consumption of alcohol, period, but we are going to talk about the fact that you can't find anywhere in Scripture that God doesn't hate drunkenness. As a matter of fact, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you find the list of people who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And, of course, you know, as we've talked about many times, a lot of us love to be very uh, bold, and we love to just talk and talk and talk about sins we don't struggle with. So we like looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we love seeing there uh, that the homosexual will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. We like looking there and seeing that the adulterer will not, uh, you know, it, it, it will not receive the kingdom of heaven. We like seeing that the thief and, and the liar, and, and we're, not, we're getting a little more uncomfortable with the fornicator. That bothers us a little bit. But uh-oh, look who's also on that list of people who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, the drunks. They're on the list too. So you're on the same list if you're a drunk. You're on the same list as a homosexual. So when you start talking about, you know, how sinful gay people are, while you're sitting there with about six in you, you might want to be thinking about that they're no different than you are, and you're no different than they are. 
uh, all sin matters, uh, not just some of it. So, so, so we know that's one. So really not being drunk is the will of God. Here's some others. If you have something with your Bible on it, uh, go to uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Here is another verse that talks about the will of the Father, the will of God, the will of the Lord. And one of those is to give thanks in all circumstances. That, that's the will. Look, look what Paul says to Thessalonica. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So Paul writes to Ephesus, don't be foolish and understand what the will of the Lord is. Jesus says, only those that do the will of my Father will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then here's one saying, it's not the will of God that I be a drunk. It is the will of God that I give thanks in all circumstances. Poor, poor, pitiful me. Uh, we love to give thanks when everything's going great, don't we? But have you ever thought about giving thanks like what we talked about last week, that how the struggles that you have been allowed to go through have benefited you? You know, when you're sitting there and you think about, you know, uh, the, the Apostle Paul's in the jail at Philippi, and he's being thankful. He says, I'm in this situation, and all this is doing is advancing the kingdom, and, and I'm learning you know, once again, to be content no matter where I am. And I'm so thankful about the fact that I should go to hell and I'm not. You know, the fact that if you've been redeemed, you always have something to be thankful about. And it's the will of God that you be thankful in all circumstances. Here's the next one. Uh, another thing that's the will of God, doing good. Actually doing good things. Uh, you know, being someone that says, I tell, you know, go out and do some good for somebody. Look at First Peter and we're going to really unpack. Every time I mention First or Second Peter, know that coming up starting um, next Wednesday, we're going to walk word for word through First and Second Peter, and it's going to be, I mean, I'm so stoked about it. But this is in First Peter, doing good, being part of the will of God. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So there's that word again, for this is the will of God, 1 Peter 2.15. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You know what uh, Peter is saying? Look, live a life that when people come against you and, and start talking about how horrible you are, the fact that you live a life and you do so much good that people go, are you saying that that person is somebody I shouldn't like? Man, look at the way they live their life. They're helping so-and-so. They're taking care of the widows. They're looking after the orphans. They're, they're generous. Uh, you know, we talked about that, about generosity uh, back at the end of the unsaved Christian. Uh, man, they're helpful. They're kind. Uh, why should I hate this person? L look how they live their life. They do good. Well, I'll tell you why they're doing good. It's the will of God that they do good. And then he enabled us to do that. So the will of God is not to be a drunk. Uh, the will of God is to be thankful in all circumstances. The will of God is to do good and live a life that makes people look foolish. Uh, you know, if they're, if they're trying to run you down, don't you live a life that gives them a reason to. Uh, it's on them then if they run you down. If you live a life that says, hey, I, I, I'm not doing these good things to earn my salvation. I'm doing these good things because of my salvation. Because I've now, I, you know, if you love me, obey me. I love you, so I do your will. I don't do it begrudgingly. It's not burdensome to me. I'm, I'm love. There's no better place to be than in the will of God. So what's the next thing? And this one is the one that we often neglect, our sanctification. Uh, let's go to 1 Thessalonians again. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verse 3. 
for this is the will of God. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So only those that do the will of my Father will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Paul to, to, to Ephesus, hey, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. But don't walk as the unwise, walk as the wise, for the days are evil. Are, is your sanctification taking place at all? Is there any effort at all going into that? It's one of the things we talked about at themanchurch.com. One of the things that's been so destructive in men's ministry and why so many strategies have failed is these strategies featured high challenge, which men's ministry does pretty well, frankly. Promise Keeper is a great example of that. And there's been others, but where Promise Keepers, and they'll tell you this themselves, where they failed is they thought they would get men challenged, that men would encounter and, and be confronted with the Holy Spirit. They would repent. They, they would come into the authority of Christ, and they would go back into their local church that would then disciple them from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity, sanctification, but that didn't happen. So when we start putting together the strategy that we have now, we weren't going to leave out sanctification because how about that? You know, one of the reasons, it's the will of God that our sanctification process, be, are, are you maturing spiritually? Are you, do, are you inv investing any time in growing from a spiritual infant into spiritual maturity? If you are not, Scripture says, then you're not doing the will of God. It is the will of God that you, your sanctification continues, that you leave spiritual infancy and you go on to spiritual maturity. Are, are you like the writer of Hebrews? Are you this person, the writer of Hebrews, is saying, I can't believe that I, I can't move you on to meat. I mean, you, you have to stay on spiritual milk. He goes, some of you should be teachers by now. You know why a lot of churches, church bodies out there say the same 20% of the congregation does everything? Because nobody else will step up. Some people are still teaching classes because they feel called to it and they love to, but a lot of people are still teaching because no new teachers are ever rising up out of the church body. Hey, let them do all that. I'm, I'm good to come here. I'm going to take and take and take. No, it may be time for you to give, but you're so spiritually immature you can't do that. But yet, you, and, and I've, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I just finished an email with a guy. What can you tell me that would help me with my sanctification? And I said, devote the time to Scripture, to prayer, and the pursuit of Christ, the same passion, the same time, the same energy that you devote to everything else you want to become an expert on. That's really it. We, we know really well the things we actually care about. And it's the will of God, your sanctification. Staying with 1 Thessalonians 4.3, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, then right after that, that you abstain from sexual immorality. If you're sexually immoral, that's not the will of God. It's the will of God that we do that we re refrain from sexual immorality. Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. So what does that mean? Exactly what it says. That no one uh, that, that is truly living in the will of God is a sexually immoral person. He says, that's not the will of God. Your sanctification is actually the will of God. So are you making steps in your life because, you know, we understand how wretched and sinful that we can be. I, I take steps in my life to remain sexually pure because I know what I'm capable of. And, and so my sanctification is now I'm becoming so engrossed 
with how wonderful Jesus is that, that it's really difficult for anything else in this world to draw me away. Now my devotion and everything involving my intimacy is focused on my wife because I've realized that really is possible because that's how God designed it. And you know what? I have found that when you do things his way and you begin to say, I'm going to pursue you and my wife, or if you're a woman watching this, my husband, the way you said to, because I want to be in your will, and I know the only thing that you approve sexually is a husband and a wife to be intimate inside holy matrimony. You don't approve of anything else. So I'm going to concentrate on making that the center of my sexual pursuit and my, and my sexual intimacy because that's what you said, and you know what? I found as I pursue you and I pursue that standard, it actually is the standard, and it is completely fulfilling because it's your way. So God has come up with a system that's not fulfilling? Of course he has. It's just whether you really want to be in his will or not. And there's nothing, you remember what we said, and we talked about this in next year's curriculum. You'll see that when it comes out if you do that at themanchurch.com. Remember, God's will is not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. I mean, he's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish whether we do that or not. We're the ones that will pay the price for not doing it. It won't change anything about him. Whether I'm in the will of the Father and I'm in the will of the Lord and I'm in the will of God, whether I do that or not will grossly affect what's going to happen to me and, and the life I live. It'll have no impact on God. He's perfect and holy no matter what I do. But he's saying, I'll give you access to, to, to who I am, and you'll be glad for it. So we know now that if we say that we want to be in the will of God, then we, would, we won't be drunk, we'll be thankful in all circumstances, we'll be doing good, our sanctification, and we'll be sexually pure. All this scripture says is the will of God, the will of the Lord, the will of the Father. What's the next one? To be able to recognize false teachers. The Gospel of John says, if anyone... Anyone's will is to do God's will, then you know whether the teaching is coming from God. That's right out of the Gospel of John. We talked about this when we did our 33-week walk, 33 walk through the Gospel of John. So it is the will of God that we are able to recognize whether the teaching we're hearing is actually of God or not. He says, that, that, that's my will. So you need to be able to recognize, as we talked about, uh, at the end of the unsaved Christian, you've got to be able to recognize sound doctrine, and you've got to be able to recognize a counterfeit. We've said it before. To recognize a counterfeit, we must know the genuine article. And, and John tells us this is also the will of God, that we know whether the teaching is coming from God or not. There's nothing worse than to be sitting there, especially you men that are watching this, to know that here you are, supposed to be the spiritual leader of a house, and, and you've got a wife, and you've got children, that they're hearing all kinds of things, and they come to you and say, hey, Daddy, does the Bible say this? Because this is what they told me at school. This is what my friend said. This is what I saw on some, some show that I'm watching. This is what a sitcom taught me. This is, a, this is what TikTok's taught me. This is what Instagram's taught me. This is what the Internet's taught me. This is something somebody sent me. This is some podcast I found that I don't know where in the world it came from. I, look, that happened in my own house. With, uh, with, with one of my sons that is a devout follower of Jesus. Uh, he's spiritually solid, but he's still learning. He comes in with a podcast that I'm kind of excited about, thinking, man, this is awesome. You know, it, it talks about the original Hebrew and, and the original Greek, and it's going to be a walk through the entire Scripture. And I'm just thinking, man, it's awesome that he's doing this. That's fantastic. My wife and I said, hey, I want to hear that myself. This may be something we can do with him. 
And the very first episode, I hear the person doing the podcast mention Rob Bell, who's a heretic. And I'm like, well, did he say Rob Bell? Well, my son didn't know who Rob Bell was. He didn't know about the, the, the heresy of Rob Bell, the universalist, who, who, who's out promoting universalism, that at one time was a respected pastor and teacher that has now become a, a false teacher and a heretic. He didn't know that. So I go in and say, hey, man, this guy said that he drove 17 hours to hear Rob Bell's speech, and Rob Bell's had a great influence on, on the way that he's going to walk out Genesis chapter 1. You need to get off that podcast. You, you, you are not allowed to listen to that. And you know what he said? Thank you, Dad. He didn't know. Well, what if I didn't know? Oh, that sounds good. Go ahead. Before you know it, you know, your kid's a universalist at the end of it, thinks nobody's going to heaven, and ultimately God loves us, and that whole cross thing, I don't know why he did it, but God's not going to send anybody to hell. It doesn't matter right this. God loves you right where you are, just the way you are. Well, what, what if I didn't know? That can happen, and, and that's what's so surprising when dads and moms out there, suddenly your kid rises up and has become a heretic or has come up with some bizarre version or says that the Bible is not God's authoritative word anymore and God's changed his mind on this and changed his mind on that, and, and they say, well, where in Scripture do, uh, does it say this? And you're like, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's important to teach your kid how to throw and catch and hunt and fish, guys, and play golf if you want to do that or you know, build something, and that's all great. But if you're not able to teach them Scripture, then you haven't taught them the, most, the thing that they, that they need to know above everything. And it's God's will that we be able to detect whether what we're hearing is coming from the Lord or not. Uh, the last thing we'll cover, because this is one in Scripture, and you can find other places and other things, but these are all the, the main themes about the will of the Lord, the will of God. Uh, you know what? It's His will that we reach the lost. It's his will that we reach the law, 2 Peter 3.9. We'll study this in greater depth when we go through 2 Peter. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but, it is, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's his will. His will is that all would reach repentance. And then the last thing that he said when he ascended was, Go reach people. I've done what I came to do. I've completed it. Go make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. Hard to do that if you don't know what we've been commanded. And I'll be with you to the end of the age. I'll give you, I'll give you my spirit. I'll go with you. So as we talked about uh, a few weeks ago, and I don't think we need to belabor the point, but you, if you missed that, the point was, examine your life. Do you have a passion for reaching lost people? Do you care if people die and go to hell? That's what I said about this thing going to the Gridiron Conference. Uh, were you afraid to go somewhere where people were gathering? No. Why did you go? Because God told me to. Did people repent of their sins and give their life to Christ? Apparently. Was that a big deal? Yes. You talking about people's eternity? Uh, well, I don't know, man, about going to that. What, what are you talking about? Uh, I, should be, I, I should be living in terror? What do, who do you think wanted gridiron to take place? If, who, who do you think wanted those 1,500 men to decide they would get together and praise and worship and be confronted with the gospel? Do you think God would be against that? 
Or do you think the adversary would be against that? And see, God's told me not to be anxious about anything. He's told me that I'm not called to a spirit of fear. But you know who lives in anxiety and fear? That's the, that's the devil. And I think he would have loved for that not to have taken place. I think he loves that people are afraid to go to church. See, the difference between these days and the days of the past, at 9-11, we all rushed into the church. The pandemic says, be afraid to go to church. Be afraid. Be very afraid. That's what makes this one different. So we are living in days that are evil. So those are the words from the Apostle Paul to Ephesus that we are to walk not as the unwise but as the wise, making the best use of our time because the days are evil and for us not to be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. And we just laid out throughout Scripture all the Scripture that says this is the will, this is not the will. I think those are very important. Turn with me now to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, let's go to, um, let's go to chapter 3 verses 1 through 7. And I know this has been mentioned in a Bible study in the past, but just like the tenets of last week have been mentioned at times, you know, the, the question of why we suffer and, and all the answers that go with that, I know those have been spread out over various Bible studies, but last week I wanted to put them all into one so that you'll have them. Same thing today on the days are evil. I realize some of these verses have been mentioned in the past, but now you can have this all in one Bible study that you can send to someone or click on and get it all in one. So let's talk about the godless. It says godlessness in the last days. A lot of people ask me, Rick, do you think we're in the last days? Yes, I do. What's the timeline on that, Rick? I don't know. Uh, but there's a lot going on that, that, that has have, had not been going on. And here's the things that we find in Scripture when it talks about the last days. First of all, we got to understand what the will of the Lord is. We got that one. And then um, here's Paul telling young Timothy about the last days. And he says in chapter 3, verse 1 through 7, see if any of, this, any of this rings with you. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, selfie. Uh, I heard someone uh, make this comment, and it was actually a women's conference, and I can't remember the speaker who said it, but I heard someone referring to it the other day, and I thought it was a good move by this speaker. The speaker said, for everybody to get their phone out, and look at your photos and see how many pictures you have of yourself. Not that somebody took a picture of you with your family or you with friends. How many pictures do you have in your photos of yourself? Uh, we had never heard to these times of something called a selfie. People are more self-involved and, and worship self uh, right now, uh, probably more than any time in the history that I've ever been alive. And, uh, and you know, like at themanchurch.com in the store, you know, our, our theme verse is Luke 9, 23, when Jesus says to what? Deny self, uh, uh, pick up your cross, and come with me. So he says, understand that in the last days, there'll come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. They'll be lovers of money. They'll be proud. They'll be arrogant. They'll be abusive. They'll be disobedient uh, to their parents. I, I mean, have you ever lived in a time where parents were more uh, disobedient I mean, kids have ever been more disobedient to their parents. Now, if you look through the eras of, of, our, of our, our time in this society, you will see that disobedience and disrespect from children to their parents is at an all-time high. And sadly, apparently, some of you have been raised that way, that you think you can be disrespectful to older men and women in general, 
and some of you need to be called, and I'm willing to do it. So anyway, it says that, uh, that, people, uh, that, that they'll be disobedient to their parents, they'll be ungrateful, uh, they'll be unholy, they'll be heartless. Listen to this one. See if this sounds familiar. Unappeasable. Th- think about the times we're living in now when, when you think that somebody, you know, you're trying to have a conversation with a mob that's screaming at you, and you're trying to understand the narrative. You're trying to say, well, all right, we did this, we do that. What about this? And all you ever get is that's not enough. People will be unappeasable. Sometimes they're, they're just screaming. You don't even know exactly what people want. They become unappeasable. Uh, they, they, are, they are slanderous. Cancel culture. Right now, man, people will slander you so fast. They'll wipe you off the face of the earth so fast and come against you without self-control. Uh, look around. Something I struggle with, uh, especially our country. I mean, we're, we're fatter than we've ever been. Uh, people have all kinds of issues with being with self-control. It's it's almost like it's a lost art. It's something you can't even require of anyone anymore without you being called mean, uh, brutal. People will be brutal. They won't love good. They'll be treacherous. They'll be reckless. They'll be swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness. But here's what I love: but denying its power. We've talked about this before, avoid such people. Having the appearance of godliness, that's back to that cultural Christian again. Uh, I talk a lot about godliness, but I live my life as if Jesus has no power. I had somebody disagree the other day talking about the verses that we've talked about in here, agnosium, concerning um, you know, uh, holiness, obedience, uh, that cultural Christianity, and, and the person was screaming, you're not trying to say these people aren't saved. You're not, I said, I'm just telling you what the Bible says about the standard. And see, that's a perfect example of people claiming that the Holy Spirit was used by God the Father. That's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And then when we truly repent and we become redeemed and we submit to the Lordship of Christ, it says that God's seed then abides in our spirit and somehow we, we claim that that took place, and just like uh, Timothy was told by Paul in the last days, you see a bunch of people out there claiming that God's seed has come into their spirit, but it really has no power. doesn't change anything. doesn't change anything. And here is Timothy being told by Paul that in the last days, people will talk a lot about godliness, but they'll deny it really having any power. Wow. So then you look at uh, the verses 13 uh, through uh, uh, 16 in the same chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, and, uh, and listen to this. It says, um, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Listen to this. He says, evil people and imposters, meaning evil people that are just never make a claim of anything that are evil, but also imposters who claim to represent the church or claim, you know, and you say, boy, you see God weeding them out right now. He's revealing the imposters. He's revealing the imposters. And it says that's going to go from bad to worse, and, and the deceiving will continue, and people being deceived will continue. But as for you, this is Paul saying to Timothy, you're going to be living in these days. Our people to come are going to be living in these days like we are. But as for you, Rick, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, 
which are able to make you wise. Walk as the wise, not as the unwise, for the days are evil. That will make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I'm hitting it. Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof. Yeah, reproof too, not for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, I mean, competent and equipped for every good work. Hey, Timothy, when everything else is going on around you, let me tell you what your anchor is. To not be deceived and not take part is the Word of God. And you become competent in the Word of God and tell all to become competent in the Word of God that they may not be deceived and they'll be equipped for every good work. Matthew 24 Matthew 24, we've talked about this before, but let's review it again today to have it all in one study. Jesus talking about the end times in Matthew 24. They're asking Jesus, the disciples are, you know, when, when should we expect your return? Jesus has talked about a lot of things, in my opinion, have already happened about wars and nation against nation. World War I's happened, World War II, uh, Korean War. We've had, you know, we've had world wars which, uh, that have been going on. I, honestly, I think those things have already come to pass. But in verse 9 in, ch in chapter 24, he says, Then they will deliver you up, talking to his disciples, the church, to tribulation and put you to death. That did happen to them. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many, listen to this in the last days, then many will fall away. First John reminds us that, that those that are falling away, he says, were never with us. But you look around, you see the falling away of people in the church. They say right now that if we went back to church this week uh, from those churches that have been split up or they're vir virtual or they're spacing or they, they're, come, they're meeting, but they're kind of meeting, they're kind of not meeting. It says if right now we went to the green light, church is back just like the way it was, all surveys are showing right now that one in three people will not return to the church. There'll be a falling away and betray one another, and they'll hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. It's going on everywhere you look. There's, there's a false teacher being outed, or there's a false teacher to, uh, leading people astray. We know that's already happened many times, and it continue, it's continuing to happen today. But this is the one that really, to me, is unique to the days we're living in right now, because the days are evil, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness. Can you get any more lawless than trying to remove law and order completely? Everywhere you turn on the TV, lawlessness is increasing, and the love of many will grow cold. You see people just shooting each other in cold blood. Uh, you see the way we're treating. We went from, you know, uh, we, we allow a, a, a baby to be terminated in the first trimester, then we move to the second trimester. Then we move to the third trimester. Then we remove. We move to partial birth. Then we move to fully birthed. And just human life right now does not have the value that it once did because the love of many has already grown cold. But in verse thirteen, Jesus says, "But the one who endures to the end will be saved." Remember, we talked about, about suffering. One of the things that suffering does is it tests the genuineness of your faith. And he says, those that pass the test 
and endure all of this tribulation, that endure all of this persecution, that endure all of these evil days, and still holds true to the will of God and never compromises God, those people will be saved because they were the real deal to begin with. Now, I know there is some, there are some out there that say, well, Rick, well, Rick, Rick, what about the government? Can you, can you talk a little bit about the government? Can we talk a little bit about what's going on? We've got a major election coming up, and certainly, you know, you have a chance to go out and vote, and that's important. But I want you to understand it is important, but I want you to understand the role of government and our role as Christians as we live under the, the authority of any given earthly government. If you want to hear what government, because you've got to be real careful. I'm going to tell you something that government is never going to produce. Hear me loud and clear. I'm not saying don't participate. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying it's not important. However, what you can't do is obsess over the government and politics as if they are the answer to spiritual problems. They're not. Okay? Now, hey, Rick, can they set up an environment? They Certainly there's things they can do, but I'm just telling you, and I'm going to read it right out of Scripture. If you think government is going to produce a revival in this country and in the church, you're sadly mistaken, and you're going to be gravely disappointed. Do you realize how many times somebody's thought that somebody going into the office was going to bring a revival to the church, and it just doesn't happen. You remember when Jimmy Carter, the Sunday school teacher, some of you are too young to remember that, was elected president? Oh, there's going to be a revival. Didn't happen. As a matter of fact, uh, Jimmy Carter appears to be affected more by government than he went in. He, uh, he was affected by government more than he affected government for the kingdom. Uh, he changed his biblical worldview on a lot of things. So it impacted him more than he impacted it. Ronald Reagan, one of my favorite presidents, but he didn't bring revival to the country. He might have brought patriotism. He, he might have brought uh, you know, national pride. He might have brought lower taxes, but he didn't bring revival to the church. The 80s, spiritually, were very decadent. Uh, so th this is not going to happen. Um, and and th if you don't believe me, then just hear what the Bible says about government. Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So let me be clear. Everybody who's sitting in a government position right now, not some, every one of them were instituted and placed there by God. Some for, some for protection, some for punishment, some for fill in the blank. But in, in God's perfect will and in the plan he's working out, uh, he, he is sovereign over every single person. You know who's going to go into office in this country in November? Exactly who God places there for his will. That's who's going there. Does that mean we don't participate? Of course it doesn't mean that. Just like me saying because God's sovereign, I'm not going to go out and do evangelism. I'm not going to go make disciples because God's sovereign. He's all-knowing. We know that's not true. Well, just because God's going to put you know, but a lot of times the way that you know, what we're really asking him for, he either gives us a blessing with these people or he gives us a punishment. But he puts them there. And that's who he's going to put there in November. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Not a very popular statement, but it's in the Bible. 
all these people placed in government positions that are in authority from an earthly standpoint, if you resist these people, you may incur, incur their judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. So for people in government authorities, he says, if, if, you, if you live a life that does not bring their terror on you, you really don't have anything to be afraid of. What they do is they bring down terror on bad conduct, not on good conduct. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. Hey, look, you don't want to have the government authority come down on you? Behave. That's in Scripture. Romans 13. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he, he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Terribly, terribly unpopular Bible verses. But it says what it says. One way to be sure that you don't incur, you know, and the, the only, what could happen, is it possible from a spiritual standpoint, which is not what he's talking about. He's not saying that if you if you go out and you and you and you get bold with the church and you start advancing my kingdom and you start making a stand for me that the government won't come down on you we know that's happened there's persecuted churches all over the world that's not what he's saying he's saying from an earth you know what the Romans 13 is saying I have instituted government because people don't know how to behave and it's there to keep law and order order and it's a necessary evil And he says, so it, 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 one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Behave yourself. Do what they say, pay your taxes. If they start telling you to blaspheme me, then you make a stand. Matthew 22. Matthew 22, another example of what we're talking about. Where do we stand when it comes for government, and what should we expect for government? Not to bring revival. Basically, to keep law and order. Now, this is out of Scripture. Look at Matthew 22, 9 through uh, 14. This is when... Uh, they're trying to corner Jesus on paying taxes. Then the Pharisees uh, went and plotted uh, to uh, entangle. I'm sorry, um, I'm looking at the wrong uh, the wrong verse here. 22. I'm sorry, I'm skipping down. 22, 15 through 21. Forgive me. I was back to where we were talking about Jesus in Matthew 24. Matthew 22, 15 through 21 about paying taxes. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words, and they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true, and you teach the way of God truthfully. They're patronizing him. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. What about the smart alecks? But listen to 17. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now keep in mind, this is, uh, this is the Roman Empire. And we know this Roman Empire is actually going to go on after Jesus ascends, and, it, and there's going to be persecution through Nero that comes against uh, uh, the, the servants of Christ to the point of martyring and killing people like Peter and Paul. But right now, uh, Jesus says this. He says he was aware of their intentions or their malice, the English Standard Version says. Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. 
And they brought him a denarii. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and encryption is this? They said, Well, that's Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. So he's showing once again, this taxes thing, this Caesar guy, look, my father placed him there. This is not caught of us by surprise. My kingdom's not of this world. Hey, they got taxes they want you to pay, pay them. You give to the government what is the government's. Behave yourself as best you can unless they persecute you for my behalf. Everybody else, just live out a life that doesn't bring down the terror of the government officials unless they come down on you for your devotion to me. That's different. So it's got Caesar's picture on it. You think God needs a coin? Then this is some little currency coin thing y'all come up with that, I, that, that my father's allowed. Give it to him. But you give to God what is God's. So we, we don't need to forget that part. Should we pay our taxes? 100%. Should we be law-abiding citizens as long as that law does not ask us to blaspheme God? Yes. Would that keep us out of a lot of trouble with government officials? Yes. Could we get in trouble with government officials because of our devotion to Christ? Yes. And that's a different game. But what does he mean to give to God the things that are God's? Our lives. And see, some of y'all are more than willing to give your life to the Republican or Democratic Party or your politics or some, some presidential, presidential candidate or president. Some of y'all hold presidents in more high regard than you hold God. And he says, look, you, if you want to give to them what, what, what they're due, your vote, your taxes, fine. But you better not give to them what you're supposed to give to God. Because ultimately, my kingdom is not of this world. And my kingdom is a kingdom to come. And you better give to God what belongs to God. Don't you ever give to the government. Don't you ever give to anybody else the things that belong to God. And, you know, I, I think it's time for the church to understand that, too. I think it's time for the church to understand something about ourselves. And I'm speaking about the Western American church. And I think it's time for us to be sure we're giving to God what is God's. Our devotion to Him, the love of His church, the church that His Son gave His life for. And one of the things we need to do to be sure that doesn't happen is to stop being delusional. We are the church at Laodicea. The Western church, it sounds an awful lot like us. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, and the angel of the church in Laodicea write these words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Here's what uh, the Lord God Almighty says to us. These are the words of Jesus himself, now in his proper glory, at the right hand of the Father. He says to the church at Laodicea, and I believe that is the Western church. You'd be hard-pressed to make a case against it. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, listen to this. Think about the mega churches all over this country. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. Underline that so that you may be rich 
and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and him with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Many times I've heard this preached, um, that, that, that Jesus would just prefer that his church, you know, either be against him or for him. That's not what the hot and cold means in these verses. Uh, the church at Laodicea was so wealthy, they had access to warm hot springs, hot water, which was very rare, and they had access to clean drinking water that was cold. The hot water was for healing and cleanliness. It had a purpose. The cold water was for refreshment and life, and it had a purpose. The only type of water that was useless was lukewarm water. So what he's saying is, you're delusional that you think you're doing all these great things. I look at you and say you're not hot or cold. You're not useful. I want you to be useful. So I spit you out of my mouth because you are carrying on basically a spiritual country club. You say that you're rich. You're not rich. You're pitiful. You're wretched. You're sinful. You don't even take your sin serious. You're delusional about who you really are. Why don't you buy from me, which I think is about to start happening in a big-time way. You buy from me gold that has been refined by fire. That's persecution. It's, it's what we talked about with suffering. He said, I'll tell you how I can wake you up. I'm going to let you suffer. And all this, all this prosper you, prospering you think you have and how rich and wealthy you think you are, I'm going to break you down and you're going to suffer and I'm going to persecute you and I'm going to bring you out on the other side for all who conquer and pass the test and repent have you ever heard the, the thing of Jesus standing at the door and knocking as being presented as a gospel message? Jesus is knocking at your heart. Let him in. I guess that's fine, but that's not what this is saying. What Jesus is saying is I stand at the door of the church of Laodicea because he's not in here. You're having church without me. He said, so... The days are evil, and you're carrying along with your programs. You're, you're still carrying on as if outside the doors of this church, the days are not evil. I stand at the door, and I knock to the door of my church. Who is willing to get up and come to the door of the church at Laodicea, the Western American church, and invite me back in? That's what he's saying. Would you do that? Can you be that person? You know, just one last thing. If you go to Revelation 21, I know I'm a little over, but hey, stay with me. If you go to Revelation 21 about the days are evil, and, and this is what we're headed to when Jesus is showing John about the new heaven and the new earth, and we're, behold, I make all things new. And he says in, in chapter 21 of, of 6, 
And uh, my wife talked about this in a video that we have out on the YouTube channel. Be great to go watch her devotion. Uh, just go to BurgessMinistries.com, click on watch. You'll see about uh, her seven, eight minute video. It's a really great devotion. Go watch it because she talks about this very, very thing here. So he says that, that uh, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring uh, of the water of life without payment. Seven, the one who conquers, just like we heard at Laodicea, the one who conquers will have this heritage with Christ. Listen to this. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, it's the first word he uses. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, and then he goes on to the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, the liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Listen to this. You can look and say, I don't, I, I don't think I'll be a murderer. I don't think I'll be sexually immoral. I'm not a sorcerer. I'm not, a, well, I may be an idolater. I'm not sure. I'm not a lie. Well, I do lie sometimes. But you know what? I, I don't think a, a faithless, but the very first word that Jesus says who's going into the lake of fire is the cowards. As for the cowardly, those who did not endure, that crumbled when persecution came, for them it's the lake of fire. Which one are you? Which one am I? One who conquers or the cowardly? The days are evil. Walk as the wise, not as the unwise. And don't be foolish about what is the will of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, your conviction is all over me. I'm thinking of things in my life that need to be addressed, and I'm asking the question, am I really ready for, for how things are, are likely not going to get better? They will only get worse. Am I prepared for whatever is ahead? Forgive me for the times that I have been cowardly. Forgive me for the times that I lose the uh, motivation that you have overcome the world and I haven't rested in that peace and that joy. But right now, Lord, I'm in it. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Thank you for reminding us today that because of what you've already done, what in the world do we have to fear? You haven't called us to a spirit of fear. You've told us to be anxious about nothing. And when you say nothing, that's what you mean. Nothing. Give us the strength to be the people that only you could make us. In your holy name we pray, amen. Thank you for being with us. If I can help you in any way, rick at rickandbubba.com. Next Wednesday we'll start our next series as we walk through word for word, First and Second Peter. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.